So today, uh, we're going to talk about some uh, good, good stuff, because we're talking about the Word of God, and so that's always good. That's always awesome. And I wanted to start out with a question, and I was wondering, do you like to garden outside, or do you like to grow houseplants inside, or do you like to do both? And so if you want to respond and put your answer in the chat, uh, it would be so great to kind of hear from you what, uh, what, th- what kind of gardening do you like, or maybe you don't like any of those things. For me, I love being outside, so I love to garden outside. I love building flower beds and colors and layers and, you know, all these different levels, and I just, I love gardening and the feel of the dirt in my hands is just such a wonderful feeling. Uh, but on the inside of my house, I have to confess, I'm not very good with the house plants. I used to be a long time ago, but this last 10 years, I tell you, I just cannot keep house plants alive for very long. So if you come to my house and you notice plants, they're all plastic. None of them are actually real. Because I love greenery, I love the look of it, but I just can't keep them alive on the inside. So just love to hear, do you love to garden or to grow house plants or both? Both or neither. Well, we're going to talk um, about the, the beginning of creation. And this is like one of those stories I could just honestly talk about forever and ever and ever, for days and days and days. There's just something so incredibly vibrant about it. Because God, as much as I love to garden and be outside, God is the master gardener, isn't he? He is the creator of all creators. And he loves to take things that are dead and to resurrect them and to give them new life. And he's the master at breathing new life into dry bones and to making something new. And in Genesis 1-1, you know, we probably know this scripture by heart, but it says, in the beginning, God. And, and the word God right there in Hebrew is Elohim. And it's actually a plural form of God. So right from the very beginning, in the beginning, God, it's God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form or void, and darkness was was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so right from this opening story, this opening God story, God has been waiting. He's been waiting for the perfect time to create the heavens and the earth. And and when you're God, like when is the perfect time to start a project like creation? I guess whenever you feel like it, if you're God, I guess that's the perfect time to start something is whenever you feel like it because you're God. Well, I can kind of imagine uh, joy and love and creativity kind of collaborating and collecting inside of God. And then when he just didn't want to contain it anymore, he explodes and he breathes out newness and freshness, something that's unprocessed. The, the things that God breathed into being had never been seen before. They had never been fashioned and formed before. And so nothing was a duplicate. Nothing was copied. Everything was brand new, brand new innovation, brand new that we had never seen before. Well, because we weren't even created yet. And then it says in verse 1, um, 2, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the, the face of the waters. And that the Spirit, capitalized there, is this word in Hebrew, ruach, and it means 
breath of heaven, the third person of the triune God. And so the Spirit hovered over these waters. The equal triune God hovered. And when it was the perfect time, when they had waited and decided this is the perfect time, to birth and to fashion and to conceive from nothing something so significant, they went, they did. And from the beginning of time, God has been waiting to reveal himself to everything that he has birthed. See, it was this expression of love. He molded and shaped and formed and breathed all in his own image. And God was waiting there for us. It doesn't say it started with us and God joined the party. It's very clear. It starts with God. And then he loved us so much that we got to join the party. And that deserves our utmost worship and praise, a fear of the Lord, a respect and an honor for who he is. And then the story continues on and and God creates man in his own image. And he says to Adam, Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then Adam got to go and to name all of the living creatures. And God's final creative masterpiece was woman. And he, she was a helper for the man. And I do love that, that woman was the last thing that God created. And so man and woman were in the garden And they were naked, but they felt no shame. And Adam and Eve, at that point, then are deceived by the enemy. And the enemy twists and turns the things that God had said to them, and they eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now they know their nakedness. And they were running around feeling exposed, feeling shame, and that they needed to cover up. And then in Genesis 3, 8, it says, Toward evening, they heard the Lord God walking about the garden. So they hid themselves among the trees. The Lord God called to Adam, Where are you? You see, the Lord was waiting for them in the garden. God, had, God knew exactly what Adam and Eve had done, that they had eaten the fruit that he had specifically said not to do. There was one thing, don't do this one thing, and they did it. And God, because he is omniscient, because he is omnipotent, because he is omnipresent, he is all-present, all-powerful, and all-knowing, he knew the moment that Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree he had asked them not to. And yet... He waited for them in the garden. He knew their sin. He knew their mistake. And yet he waited for them in the garden. And I would imagine he was hoping they would come to him, that they would confess to him what they had done, but they didn't. And so he says to them, where are you? Come. No matter what mistake you've made, come. You see, it wasn't supposed to be like this. There wasn't supposed to be nakedness and sin. But God doesn't allow shame to enter in and to own this situation. He calls them and he's like, where are you? And he makes the first move. He makes the step toward Adam and Eve because he wants to immediately restore this relationship that he's intended to be full of his perfect love from the very beginning. 
Now God also knew there was someone else who was in the garden, also waiting for the perfect time, and that was the enemy. It says in Genesis 3.1, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the fruit um, from any of the trees in the garden? You see, the enemy didn't need to be the enemy of God. The serpent didn't need to be the enemy. Yes, he had been cast out of heaven, but he had a moment where he could have chosen to do this differently, and yet he chooses to still try to elevate himself above God. He chooses to tempt Adam and Eve into not obeying. He chooses to have them question and twist the things that God had said to them, to put doubts in their mind, to, to, to upside down, change their thinking so that he could trick them into sin. And you know, honestly, Satan was waiting there in the garden for Adam and Eve, but he waits for us. And we know in scripture it says that, that he's waiting to devour us. And the thing with us as humans is that we're actually really lazy and we're undisciplined and we actually are a really easy target for, for Satan. Because you see, the contrast is that with God, everything is new. Creation is new. With Satan, everything is a copycat. But for us, because we are, most of us, very undisciplined, Satan doesn't have to come up with new tricks and new ways to do things. So often it's the old sin habits that we have that we just keep circling that mountain and coming back to and coming back to, and Satan just keeps tricking us and deceiving us. Well, I don't want us living in a place where we are listening to the enemy or feeling like we are powerless and that we have fear because God is greater. And so I want to share with you today three ways to defeat the enemy. The first one is to know who you are in Christ. You are a part of God's army. You see, God started all of this. This is his creation story. And you, when you believe in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're a part of his army. And, and Paul was saying to Timothy in his letter, 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4, overcome every evil. And he's saying this to Timothy, but he's saying this to all of us. Overcome every form of evil as a victorious soldier of Jesus, the anointed one. And that's what he's speaking to every single one of us. You are a victorious soldier of Jesus, the anointed one. When you have Jesus and believe in him, you are a victorious soldier of Jesus, the anointed one. For every soldier called to active duty must divorce himself from the distractions of this world so that he may fully satisfy the one who chose him. You are a victorious soldier of Jesus, the anointed one. You have been enlisted into God's army. And let me be very clear about this. This is not an army that fights another human. This is a spiritual army. This is, this is a part of God's spiritual army. Not a human fight. It's a spiritual fight. It says in Ephesians 3.12, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. That means I'm not fighting against another person, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. I'm fighting in a spiritual world against many powers in this dark world. The enemy is powerful, but God is greater. 
Absolutely, God is greater. And it's against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so I hope that you agree with me that peacefully we are a part of God's army. That we are eternity bound. That is our destination. That's the location. That's the place that we are going to. You know, in Thy Amazing Race on Friday night, they were working uh, through all of these challenges to get to the pit stop. Your pit stop as a part of God's army is heaven. That's where you get to go. And so don't wait. God wants to give you part of heaven right here, right now, to defeat the enemy that is in front of you. And so you are a part of God's spiritual army. And I hope you'll write that in the chat. I'm in God's spiritual army. It's so important that we declare this for ourselves. I am a part of God's spiritual army. You see, that's our foundation. That's who we are in Jesus Christ. We are a part of God's family. We're a part of his army. That is who we are. We need to know our identity. The second thing that we need to do is we need to call the enemy out and send it to the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, we don't have to wait powerless with no weapons and no armor. You have the God of heaven's armies also at your side. You are a part of God's army, the the spiritual army, but we also have access through prayer to God's angelic army, all right? So we pray, and in God's will, he activates and commands his angels to intervene in our situations, all right? So not only are we in God's army, we have access to the angelic army. We don't pray to them, we pray to God, and he activates, he sends on our behalf. You see, we've got stuff. Like, we don't just come to this with nothing. We've got stuff, powerful stuff, to defeat the enemy. We have spiritual weapons that God gives us as a part of that army. And and then we also have access to the angels when we pray to God, and he deploys them on our behalf. And when I say spiritual weapons, again, this isn't a humanly weapon, okay? This is a spiritual weapon. I'm not fighting a war with somebody else. It's not in the physical. It's in the spiritual. Because in the physical, I want to live in peace. Jesus has called me to live in peace, to live in harmony, to live in unity. But sometimes what's happening is in the spiritual, things are getting confused and messed up and there is sin because the enemy is also in that garden waiting to trick us and to deceive us and to help us to make mistakes. You see, and God is saying, but in my spiritual realm, I have given you all authority through my son, Jesus Christ, to defeat the enemy. And these are not your weapons. These are God's weapons that he gives to you to fight in that spiritual battle. Some of these weapons are prayer, salvation, God's word, praise and worship, repentance, forgiveness, love, the armor of God in Ephesians 6. Study that. Truth is a weapon against the enemy. Why? Because he's the father of lies. 
So when we bring the truth to the table, we defeat the enemy. It is a spiritual weapon. And there are so many more like obedience and self-discipline and fasting and faith. You see, you're not left on your own. God wants to give you his weapons for spiritual warfare if you will ask for them, if you will seek them, if you will pursue them so that you can defeat the enemy in front of you. Now, I came to this really awesome story of David, and um, this story is out of um, 1 Samuel, and I want us to notice, um, and you've probably read this story before, but this time when I read it, oh, I was just, I was smacked by the beginning of the story. So David is a young guy, he's like maybe between 8 to 15 years old, and he is being anointed and called uh, to, to one day be the king. And so Samuel comes, and he chooses David and he pours oil over his head. And right there, this is at the beginning of David's story. He hasn't gone into battle. He's not the king. He hasn't done anything yet. So at the beginning of his story, it says, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day on in 1 Samuel 16, 13. The spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day on. And then we we know David goes into battle with Goliath. You see, Goliath and the Philistines were at war with Israel. And Goliath's like, oh, you guys, like, we don't even need to have this fight. Like, just have them send their one best warrior, and I'll fight him, and I'll defeat him, because Goliath just thought he was all that and a bag of chips. Well, you see, David had the spirit of the Lord mightily upon him. And he comes to see King Saul. And what does he see? He sees a faithless army uh, from Israel trembling in fear because the Philistines are over there with Goliath and all they can see is a giant before them. And David is like, get out of my way. Like, you guys are faithless and get out of my way. I will go and fight this Philistine, right? He's like, if a bear or lion comes after me, I just like, I just get, get rid of that stuff, right? He was just so full of faith. And even though he was young, he was feisty and he was full of the spirit of the Lord. And and some of this is David talking, but I believe some of this is the spirit of the Lord speaking through David because he was mightily upon him. And don't think that this is just for David. This is for you too. The spirit of the Lord hovers and, and dwells inside of you in a mighty way. And so David says in 1 Samuel 17, 36, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. He's talking about Goliath. For he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who saved me from the claws of the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine. And King Saul, I could just imagine, he must have been like, this little guy, this little guy is so full of faith. Um, But I guess I'm going to let him go because nobody else is going to step up into this fight. And so Saul's like, all right, here you go. And David goes into battle against Goliath. And he, I could just hear him just yelling with such authority in, in 1 Samuel 17, 45. You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defiled. Like, this is where the enemy needs to be shaking in his boots, because he is now crossed, the Lord of heaven's armies. Like, you need to scatter. You need to get out of here. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everyone will know 
that the Lord does not need weapons to rescue his people. It is his battle, not ours. The Lord will give you to us. And so David slings that stone at Goliath. He falls down. And then I love this. David doesn't have a knife, doesn't have a sword. So he takes Goliath's sword and he kills him and takes off his head. You see, the victory belongs to the Lord. David even says the victory belongs to the Lord. He's not taking that credit for himself. Like, oh, I did this great thing. No, no, no. The victory belongs to the Lord. And I want you to write that in the chat for me, please. If you believe that, write in there, the victory belongs to the Lord. You know, we established in 2 Timothy that we're to overcome every form of evil as a victorious soldier of Jesus Christ, the anointed one. We are a part of that victorious army of Jesus. We are in God's army, right? So then this is not our fight. The fight against the enemy is not our fight. We have the Lord God who battles before us and the victory belongs to him. And so what we do so often, I know for myself, we, I, I walk around in the background trying to avoid the Goliaths, the giants that are in our lives. We duck behind walls. We build up huge fortresses around us to keep people out, to keep the enemy out. We overparent, we overprotect, we overguard. We cut people out of our lives to protect out of, uh, out of a reality. Uh, Sorry, as a reaction to what we see as the Goliaths and the giants that are in our lives. But God says to us in Psalm 91, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. You see, it's not about the shelter, the, the, the place, the location It's about the God who is the shelter for us. He wants to be our strong tower. He wants to be the way maker, the defender. He wants to be your shelter because the victory belongs to him. And so it's no longer us going into that battle with nothing because the enemy will laugh at us. But we go in with the weapons, the spiritual weapons of God, because the battle and the victory belong to him. And what we can do is that we can learn to call out the enemy and to send him to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because by the blood that Jesus shed, by the resurrection life, Jesus now sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he has all authority. Jesus Christ has all authority. There is no one greater. And so when you are a part of God's army, you now inherit the authority through Jesus Christ. And let me be clear, it's not your authority. It's through Jesus Christ that we have authority to say to the enemy, you must go to the cross of Jesus. And Jesus, you deal with the enemy because the battle belongs to you and the victory belongs to you, Jesus Christ. So no matter what the giant is that's before you, if you have some spirit, something demonic, if there is witchcraft 
send it to the cross of Jesus Christ. If you have tarot cards in your home, supplies for smudging in your home, angel cards, get that demonic stuff out of your house, clean it out spiritually, and send the enemy to the cross of Jesus Christ because Jesus has authority to deal with that enemy. And you know, for us, some of us don't have experience in these things. I know for myself about like, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I I didn't have experience or maturity or understanding of how to do this, how to claim uh, ground in the name of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. There are people around me who do know how to do this. So I want to be teachable and I want to be open to receive so that I can learn and grow to be able to step into those battles that God is calling me to because they're not my battles, Right? And God wants to give me the skill and the authority and the power to defeat the enemy. And so don't step down. Don't step back and away. Say, I need help. Hey, would somebody teach me? And, and come to me because I will teach you or I will find somebody to help you to learn what those spiritual weapons are and how to use them. I believe that God is calling us into some spiritual battles. Uh, I, am, um, I believe Child pornography needs to end. Euthanasia needs to end. There are atrocities, atrocities like um, poverty and addiction and abortion. And I believe that it is you and I that God is calling into those spiritual battles. Let the church of Jesus Christ be known for stepping into atrocities and doing something about it. The victory belongs to the Lord. And the same spirit that came mightily upon David comes mightily upon us if we believe. The last point that I wanted to make about defeating the enemy is to chase after a revival of prayer in your own life. Like I've said, the enemy is waiting. He wants to trip you, to uh, keep you scared, to make the struggles that are standing in front of you look like giants. It's all an illusion. God is waiting for you. God is waiting for you, and he is greater. He is higher. There is no name above his name. So when you step into that situation with God, the enemy must flee because God is greater. We don't need to live feeling fearful or scared or defeated. God is greater. So let's not believe the twisted lies of the enemy He twists and twists and twists. Let's come back to God. He is waiting for you. He's calling you. Would you step into godly character? Would you grow in the spiritual weapons that I have given to you? Because when you do, you will have greater relationships, greater power, greater authority in the spiritual realms when you live a life of gratitude and repentance and forgiveness and obedience and so much more. And so I feel like there's some that are maybe hiding from God, thinking the giant before them is too big for God to handle. And so they're living scared. They're living feeling that there's a nakedness that they don't want to expose to God. There's a vulnerability that they're trying to hide from him. And I want to encourage you, if that is you, 
that God is waiting here for you. Jesus is waiting here for you with hope. You see, God waited with the Israelites as they wandered around the desert trying to figure out life. God waited with Sarah when she was barren. God waited with um, uh, the mother of Jesus, Mother Mary, when she became pregnant and was to birth the Messiah. He waited with her for that birth. He waited for the perfect time for his son Jesus to be born. He waited for the perfect time for him to step into ministry. He waited for the time for him to be crucified and resurrected. And wherever you are, God is waiting for you. And his arms are wide open. He's like, just move around the giant that you see before you and come back to me. Come to my heart. He is waiting for you and he is good. He is tender. He is not condemning. He is love. He is perfect love. And he's waiting for you. He's saying, where are you? Come back to me. And if you don't know how to do that, it's so easy. It's just having a conversation. It's just talking with him and listening to him. And that's why I'm asking for a revival of prayer in our lives. And would you commit to that with me? Would you choose to step into daily prayer every single day that you would go back to the arms of the Father? You see, if you want to know how to defeat the enemy then you pray and ask God to teach you. If you want to know how to have victory in your life, you pray. If you want to know the seven habits of a highly effective person, I'll tell you what they are. Pray, 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 pray. If you want to know the 10 best ways to be a fantastic leader, I'll tell you the 10 best ways. Pray, 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 pray. If you want to know how to restore your marriage, pray. If you want to know how to parent kids in an electronic age, pray. If you want to know how to defeat strongholds in your life, you want transformation, pray. You want new thoughts, you want new patterns, pray. We need a revival of prayer in our lives. We need to lay ourselves on the floor and surrender and submit to how God is so much greater than the Goliath, than the giant that is standing in front of us. I heard Mike Bickle say, uh, what, uh, just this weekend I was listening to a message from him, and he said that when we commit to something, it evaporates in like 12 hours. And I love that because I instantly thought of how like when I put the kettle on, there's the steam and it like evaporates and how it fills up the space, but it, but it evaporates and you can't see it anymore. And it's the same with our commitments. They evaporate quickly. So we need to keep praying. We need to keep stepping into those battles. We need to keep saying, Jesus Christ, you have all authority in this arena and the battle and the victory belong to you. And so if you are feeling like you're praying and you're not getting anything, if you're feeling stuck, well then move into repentance and forgiveness. It always helps me to unblock the pathway between me and God. And if that's not working, don't give up. Keep praying. Ask somebody to come and pray with you. 
you. Ask somebody to pray for you. Gather with others to pray. Come on Sunday mornings at 9.30 for our prayer time. This is how we seek after God is we pray and we pray and we pray. Because just like the enemy knows that that is so easy to get us because we are undisciplined, the Lord knows that, that we can stay committed if we stay connected. So let's stay connected to God through prayer. Let's make revival of prayer new and fresh in our lives. 2 Peter 3.9 says that the Lord is not slow to keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, the Lord hears you. Pray. The Lord hears you. Pray. He will answer you. He will answer you. It might not be in the time that you want, but don't give up praying the prayer. Don't give up believing and having faith and watching to see how he unfolds it before you. I'm going to give you a moment. Um, I just want to ask if, if you've never asked Jesus into your life, I, I want to just say God is waiting for you. He is waiting for you to say yes. And I, I pray today is that day. And if you've never asked him into your life, I just want you to follow with this prayer. Jesus, I admit, I admit that I have sin and mistakes in my life and that that separates me from you, Jesus. I admit it. But I believe... <laughs> God, I believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I believe that you have conquered death. I believe, Jesus, that you have all authority to forgive me of my sins. I believe in you, Jesus, and I confess. I confess my sin to you, and I ask that you would forgive me. Come, come, Jesus, mightily come upon me, Jesus because I need you. I cannot fight this fight. The battle belongs to the Lord. The victory is yours. And if, if you have just given your life to Jesus, I hope that you will click yes to that salvation button because we want to celebrate with you. But for some of us, we've had Jesus for so long. And we have also allowed the giant in front of us to be so big. It has overcome us. It has overwhelmed us. And today we are committing to say no more. I break down the giant in front of me in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of the one who has all authority, I break down the enemy in front of me. And I say, you must go to the cross of Jesus. By your blood and authority, deal with the enemy in my life, Jesus. Break me free. Give me victory. Give me breakthrough, God, because you are greater. You are greater, Jesus. I worship you. Elohim, Yeshua, Yahweh, Lord God, I worship you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, church, for being here. May the Lord bless you and keep you and shine his face upon you. Amen.